welcome to the Not All Live and Light podcast. I'm your host, Romy Moreno, and today we have Charlene Lewis. She's a sex therapist and sex addiction specialist. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. It's so funny because the way that I just felt I needed to have you on here is because I hosted a workshop and your name came up and then your name came up again and someone else was like, but I was given her number today. And I was like, I need to know who this person is. So once I went to go follow you, we were already following each other. So I just felt like it was in perfect alignment and I needed to have you on. And the work that you do is very, very important work. So why don't you tell me and explain a little bit what sex addiction is and how it differs from having a healthy sexual behavior? So thank you, you know, first and foremost for for having me. And uh, I work with, you know, regular sex therapy and sex addiction. Um, I just want to, you know, be able to kind of give a little background. I started off as a substance abuse therapist. So I worked with, um, you know, alcoholics, addicts. And as I was working with them, I started seeing like this underlying theme of uh, they all have sexual issues as well. And no one's really talking about, you know, the, that sexual part. So I got my sex therapy certification, um, and then I went into the sex addiction piece because I really think that a lot of sober people, a lot of alcoholics and addicts, like once they hit like the seven-year mark, um, a lot of the sexual addiction stuff starts coming out. And people who don't have any other substance abuse issue, you know, also has uh, sex addiction stuff. And really... You know, anything that we do compulsively is going to miss the mark of health, you know, of what's like sexual health behavior, healthy sexual behavior. It's being able to be present. And when you're in any sort of addiction, that's like the big marker is that we're not present, you know, and I say we I'm also in recovery. So, you know, I disclose a lot while uh, while I'm in doing therapy. But with sex addiction, it's like with anything else where there's a desire to stop, multiple attempts to stop, and you can't stop, you know? And then the partners get upset and they find out and there's trauma on that side. So usually when I get clients for sex addiction, the majority find me through their spouses is how they find me. (laughs) Very rarely, you know, I'll have one come in on their own. Yeah, it makes sense. It's like, find help, please, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them have like that porn addiction too, right? Yeah. A big one is porn and it's kind of like a silent, you know, but deadly one because it's so accessible and so normalized, you know, just in general, in male culture and in every culture, really, you know, I mean, Hispanic cultures, it's like, oh, that's normal. We all watch porn. I have a lot of male clients that struggle with this. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a real thing that they, they have this addiction and it's, and it's something that, that like taunts them that they really want to get better and, and heal through this. What are some common signs and symptoms of sex addiction that people should be aware of? Well, I think, you know, one of the first ones, like I said, is that desire to stop. Mm-hmm. And you can't stop, right? And there's consequences. So we start having a lot of consequences. And consequences don't always have to be dramatic consequences, like going to jail or, you know, getting arrested or getting an STD. 
although those are all consequences and a lot of my clients have gone through that, it could also be emotional consequences. You know, there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of shame that comes with whether it's porn addiction or escorts or strip clubs where these men and women really feel like monsters. You know, they feel disgusting. They feel dirty. There's also, and especially with porn and also with, you know, strip clubs and escorts, they get to a level where they always have to kind of up the ante, you know, the um, the things that used to excite them sexually at the beginning don't excite them anymore. So they need something a little bit more exciting and a little bit more exciting. And a lot of times that's where, you know, they can get into some danger zones, whether it's, you know, watching porn that they feel even more shame about or, you know, doing things sexually that they thought they would never do. There's always like a, I call it like a sand, a line in the sand. And normally every person that has some sort of addiction will always say, like, I'll never cross this line. And then before they know it, they cross it. You know, the line just keeps getting uh, moved. Um, so there have to be, you know, some sort of consequences. There has to be more intense use. There has to be attempts to stop, you know, and that it, it hasn't worked. And again, with all of them, there's this underlying shame that there's something wrong with them. You know, there, there's something wrong with me that I'm looking at this stuff. The content is also really important right. because no one's really watching vanilla content when they're, you know, into the sex addiction. Right. Right. For the most part. <laughs> and what are some like patterns that you see that maybe you see how it affects the individual and how it affects the relationships? Well, it absolutely starts isolating them. You know, a lot of times if they are in relationships, the sex that they're having with their partners isn't as exciting. So they may back off in uh, in sex with their partners and not just even that it's not as exciting. It could be that it's not exciting, but it could also be that they feel so much shame for what they're doing that they don't even want to get close to their partners. So they avoid it, which is something that you know, their partners have a hard time understanding because they're like, well, you know, he or she is having sex. No problem with all these people, but they don't want to do it with me. There must be something wrong with me. So partners have a lot of self-blame and, uh, you know, they, part of, part of the, uh, the addict purposely or not purposely they will create fights sometimes to be able to get out of the house or go into the other room, you know, to to watch the porn. And a lot of times this is done subconsciously. You know, they really don't know it or aren't aware of it when they're in the process of the addiction. But once they come into therapy and we start talking about, you know, what kinds of things make you want to use, what kinds of things make you want to check out. Then they start thinking back and being like, well, if I'm upset with my wife or if I'm, you know, having a fight with my husband or if, you know, the kids are, you know, too much for me to handle um, or I got into a fight with my boss, you know, any of these emotions trigger that desire to get out of self. And that's really all that addiction is, is I want to get out of my own body. And that's why a lot of addicts, once they get sober have to do a lot more work than just not using, right? Than not watching porn or not drinking or not acting out on their behavior. They have to really 
learn for the first time how to connect, you know, body, mind, and spirit. All three things have to be connected. They're so disconnected from themselves. A hundred percent. And this isn't, you know, we're talking about addiction, but even when I do, you know, just the regular sex therapy piece, or when I work with, you know, your average couple that comes in for communication issues or, you know, financial differences. One of the things that I have found more and more in my work with these people is that as individuals, the majority of us, I would dare to say, are really disconnected, you know, and we all compensate for that in different ways. My sex addicts compensate with sex. You know, other couples that I have may compensate with food or with gambling or with shopping, um, you know, or with one partner trying to control the other one. And that's how they try to, you know, feel safe is by using control. So, you know, sex addiction is one piece, but I think the underlying thing for all of us is really just kind of learning how to connect with ourselves again. Whether you're addicted to, whether it's sex, whether it's food, whether it's social right. media, because oh, yeah. that's a whole other that's a huge addiction that people have to their cell phones. People yeah. can't go somewhere without having their face on their screens. And it's, it's kind of sad, but it's the world that we live in. Yeah. Well, and that, that's another thing, you know, when I work with people, so with sex addiction, I think with any addiction, but I'm going to talk about sex addiction, the recovery time, and this can scare off people sometimes is like three to five years, right? So it's, it's so much more, like I said, than just not watching porn, right? It's like different layers. We call it like peeling the onion. So in those three to five years, we're doing a lot of the trauma work, a lot of the attachment work. You know, I work a lot with attachment theory mm. and do a lot of, uh, of trauma work. And it's really a process, you know, to get there. And in that time period, the person's getting better and they're feeling better and they're feeling more connected. But one of the biggest complaints I get from the spouses is, yeah, they're not acting out anymore, but they're always on their phone, <laughs> you know, or... Right. Because they're replacing one addiction with another. Yeah. And I say, you know, like, let's, we're doing this little by little, you know, very moderately, um, because you, you can't just pull away every Band-Aid either that a human being has, because a lot of times that's what's kept them surviving. Right. You know, so I have to be able to give them other tools to replace what we're, what we're you know, taking out. Yeah, like slowly. It's like when my my son was learning to sleep in his own bed. My ex-husband initially slept in the bed with him. Then he moved to the floor and then mm -hmm. he moved closer to the door and then closer to the door until he was finally out of the room. Right. So it's kind of the same concept. Of it's, it's, it's exactly the same. Moving away, right? right. But it, I, I love that you brought up the attachment theory. I've actually been looking for someone to have on the podcast for that. So that'll be another episode I'd like to do with you because I feel that's very important for people to it's know relationships as well. But what are some misconceptions that people have about sex addiction that you, maybe you could debunk? Yeah, that it's normal. You know, everyone does it. A lot of times when I'll have clients tell me that, I'm like, okay, yeah, everyone drinks also. Everyone, you know, there's a lot of people that are smoking pot now. Or It's not about the porn. It's what it does to you as an individual, right? right. So when they say everyone does it and it's normal, 
it may be for some people because I'm the sex therapist part of me says, you know, it's not that all porn is bad or that porn is like this negative thing. No, there are plenty of people out there that can use it in a healthy way to enhance their sexual, um, you know, life by themselves or with their partners. And that's fine. But if it's causing issues, then it it deviates from that normal mark. That's the reason why I stopped drinking. It's been over six months since I stopped drinking. I've I stopped drinking in the past for a year with the intention that I'll I'll drink again. I was just taking a break. But this time around, I realized when I drink, I just I don't feel like the person that I'm trying to evolve into. I don't make the right choices. I don't align with the right people. And I see alcohol as something that lowers your vibration. So then that's the people that I attract into my life. So I just feel like for me, it doesn't work for me, even though I have nothing against alcohol. People, you could have a drink in front of me. I don't care. I just know that it's not for me. And I also, whoever I bring into my life as my partner, I don't really want that to be something that they're heavy on either. Right. Yeah. Because if not, it's going to be a constant temptation. We're just going to be in... We're just going to be on different vibrations, like right, different values, different goals. I mean, everything is just different. And again, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just, are we similar? You know, are we going towards the same, you know, quote unquote destination? Another, you know, myth is I could just stop, you know, whenever I want. It gets to the point that sometimes, even with our best intentions. We stop for a while, but I always say the problem sometimes isn't stopping, it's staying stopped, right? It's it's being able to actually not go back to it. A lot of times people think it's like, well, I could just do it on willpower. A big part of it is, right? I have to have like the determination, I have to have resilience, but there's a lot of stuff that's going on in our actual brain that isn't just as simple as me saying, oh, I'm not going to do it. You know, when that desire kicks in, when that urge kicks in, the part of the brain that handles my impulse control, right, is called like the prefrontal cortex. For an addict, that part has not been as developed. So it takes time for that muscle, you know, to to gain some strength. And some of the ways that we start increasing that muscle is like, okay, wait, pick up the phone, call someone, pray, meditate, go out for a run, you know, do something else. And that you're going to need all the willpower in the world, you know, to actually implement, uh, implement those things. But it's, it doesn't just come naturally. Do you also believe that it also has to do with like it being a habit because it's like, oh, I'm so used to doing this at this time. So replacing it with a different habit, like I'm so used to when I get home, um, watching porn at this time. But if you change that routine, Like Mm -hmm. instead of when I get home, I'm going to go and work out and start reprogramming your brain to do that instead. Is that one way that could help? A hundred percent. That is definitely, and I'm glad you use that word, like one way. With addiction is so complex that it's not just going to be one thing. Yeah, it's not linear. Healing is not linear. There's going to be so many, so many things like I'll have. And even in my own, you know, recovery, I've been, you know, sober now for 18 years. And when I first got sober, I would have no problem not drinking all day. You know, it was seven o'clock or six o'clock when I would get out of work. That was so I knew that at six o'clock I had to go to a meeting. 
right? I had to go to, you know, like my own 12-step meeting. And that's where I'm going to go to kind of break that pattern. I went to the gym. I went to the beach. I had to put in other activities that were that I needed to form a healthier habit with. Um, so changing, you know, your people, places and things, your situations is uh, is a really important part to this. But I think one of the most important things in any sort of recovery and in healing, right? Because even if we're just talking about like just healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing, we're not doing any of this stuff by ourselves you know, in our homes, by ourselves, like, I'm going to heal, I'm going to light this candle, and everything's going to be fine. We're, we're connecting with other healers, you know, with people who have gone before us on this path. And that's exactly how it is with addiction. Also, you know, we have to connect with other people who have gone down that path before are sober, are happy, have healthy, you know, sex lives, like one of the main things that a lot of the guys that I work with, mostly I work with men. There's plenty of women sex addicts, but I think there's even more shame around that. So it's a lot harder for them to come out. Um, but most of the men that, you know, that I work with will always tell me, like, I'm never going to have fun and exciting sex anymore. You know, it's just going to be so boring. And I'm able to connect them with other guys, you know, that are sober, that are like, no, we have great sex. You know, we we do kink and we, you know, it's not vanilla because they really feel like, okay, I, I stopped sexually acting out and now I have to have like this vanilla sex with my wife or husband, you know, depending on, on which one, which partner is in. But there is a lot of hope to be able to have what you want, which is what most people want, which is really good sex. And it be healthy, you know, like we're kind of, and this goes back also to how we were raised and our perception, you know, of sex as, uh, as children, which for a lot of people is it's bad, you know, unless you're married in a heterosexual couple, it's bad. Mm-hmm. And it's very confusing for the brain. Cause it's like, well, they're telling me it's bad, but it feels really good. Right. So my brain makes that connection. So now sex with my wife is good and it doesn't feel bad. <laughs> so I don't like it as much. You know, it's it's just it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack, but it's so worth it. You know, I can't even tell you the the couples that I have that are in recovery, you know, long term and have really done a lot of the work, they're like grateful, you know, that they had this affliction because they're like if it wouldn't have been for this, I would have never gotten to where I am today. Right. I'm sure it makes the relationship a lot stronger to be able to pull through through that. A, a lot of vulnerability that mm-hmm. has to be expressed on both yeah. sides. A lot of vulnerability and a lot of shame work that needs to that needs to be resolved, which takes a lot of courage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of courage. The easier, softer way is to confront this. You know, it takes a lot of courage to to say I have a problem and I need help. A hundred percent. And how can individuals or their loved ones? support somebody that has sex addiction or any type of addiction. I'm so glad that you asked that because I was like, I definitely don't want to like end this without talking to like the partners. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because they're struggling in so much silence, right? right? Because if the addict has shame, the partners I think have just as much or even more, you know, it's 
very hush hush. I don't want to talk about, you know, my wife or my husband, you know, cheating on me or watching porn all the time or drinking. Um, and they've been told, oh, that's just normal. You know, men cheat or, you know, men watch porn, but they feel it. And that's part of this whole disconnect where it's like, I feel things and I've always been told my entire life, no, what you're feeling isn't right. What you're feeling is wrong. It's like, no, what you're feeling is 100% right. You know, it doesn't feel good to be cheated on or for my spouse to be, whether it's on porn all day or on his phone all day or on whatever he's on all day. Mm -hmm. um, so to the partners, the biggest piece for them, and when I say partners, wives, girlfriends, moms, dads, you know, anyone, it's the word boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many clients I sit across. And when we start discussing the boundaries, they look at me like I have three heads. Like, right. I yes. don't even know what that is. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I don't know where to start. What am I allowed to ask for? And I, I love it. You know, I love being able to kind of like the looks that they get when I'm like, it's perfectly okay for you to say, no, I don't want you, you know, to, uh, to be going to a strip club every weekend. Like, that's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if he wants to go to, he can go with some other wife, but not with you, you know? And it's all about them being able to get a little bit of empowerment because they've lost all power. You know, they've handed all power over to the addiction, really. It's not to, to the addicts. It's been, you know, to the addiction. And I think a big part of that for me with the addict and with the partners is separating that, yeah. right? That they're the husband and the husband or the wife and the wife or the husband and the wife. And then there's the addiction, you know? But that person is not the addiction and you are not the addiction. Yeah. So they both kind of team up against the addiction, you know, instead of the wife teaming, you know, teaming up against the you know, Like they're in this the together and this is right. something that they have to, you know, battle on together versus it's not me against you. It's us against this. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, that really makes them a lot stronger, but yeah, partners go through a lot. No, I'm sure it's, it, I'm sure it's, and, and like you said, they suffer in silence because mm -hmm. then it's almost like it's all about their needs and all of that. So it's very important. I feel like if somebody is going through this, they seek help as well. Mm -hmm. The rate of success at least in my practice, and I tell this to, you know, all the couples that I work with, is if both people are in therapy together. Yeah, they have. Right? If it's, just, if it's just the addict coming to therapy, it becomes very, very challenging because the partners have gone through some serious PTSD. Mm -hmm. A lot of, you know, like years, depending on how long they've been married. And usually when there's a discovery their whole world crumbles. It's like, I've been living with you for 20 years thinking that you've been faithful and you've been cheating on me this entire 20 years. Everything has been a lie the last 20 years. It's really heartbreaking. The trust, is, which is very important, is gone. Completely. So, and a lot of times the partners by default, their default is, well, this is his problem or this is her problem. So why do I have to be in therapy? Right. And I get that. You know, there's a lot of resentment there. So I constantly reassure them that this therapy is for their own PTSD, mm -hmm. you know, for how to help and not aggravate, you know, a situation. 
Because every human being in an argument, in a, in a discussion, has the choice of either escalating a situation or de-escalate. So I say, I'm just going to teach you how to de-escalate. You know, like, we're not going to be talking about him. We're not going to be talking about the addict. We're going to be talking about you and your PTSD and how to de-escalate and get more empowerment. I love that. Yeah. What advice would you give somebody who might feel like maybe they have a problem or have an addiction, but they're reluctant to get any help? Well, if they're reluctant, it's kind of hard because this isn't something that, I don't know, a diabetic or something who, you know, they're told they have diabetes and it's like, okay, I may not want to go and, you know, see a doctor and have to inject myself insulin, but I really, you know, know that I'm going to die from it. It's a lot harder. It's the same concept with addiction, but it's a lot harder to really internalize that. So there has to be at least a little bit of willingness to want to get better. They don't necessarily have to want to get better from the addiction. A lot of times I get, you know, men and women who say, I just want my wife not to leave me. Or I just want my husband, you know, to, uh, I just want us to have a better relationship. Okay, great. So let's work on that. And then slowly we can, you know, focus on the sex addiction. That makes sense. To not totally scare them off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I am so grateful that you were able to come on. I feel like I said, it's a very important topic. Yeah. Men suffer a lot. Men need a lot of healing. Mm -hmm. I've said it plenty of times on my podcast. So I love the work that you do. They do. They, you know, they, they both, you know, the men and the women and the kids, you know, that are growing up in that family. Right. Mm -hmm. When they have kids, that's one of my favorite groups to work with are parents who have young children, because I really feel like I know that not only am I helping the adults, but I'm also hopefully helping breaking the cycle with the children. Right. Right. Because if they see a non-intimate marriage, mm -hmm. that's what they're going to think is normal. Right. They're going to think that that's what it is. Right. So yeah, I'm really glad that I was able to, uh, that we were able to finally connect. Yes, yes, me too. So how can my audience find you? I am on Instagram also as a Charlene Lewis therapist. I think, you know, I didn't even think about you asking that question. I'm so focused always like on the therapy piece and just working with the clients that my husband deals with all of my marketing my cell number is uh, is the one that's, you know, on my page and the one that I uh, pick up and email address. It's all on there. Awesome. And if you have any last words for anybody that's listening to this episode, what would they be? Just to not give up on yourself, you know, no matter how bad you think things have gotten or how bad of a person, you know, you may be or how weak you may you may appear that there's a solution you know, and that there's help and that there's a ton of us who have gone through this and have gone through, you know, to the other side and are really happy, you know, genuinely happy most of the time, right? We're not meant to be happy 24 hours a day, but we also don't have to escape when we're not happy. You know, we know that all the feelings are transient, um, you know, so to not, not sell yourself short and reach out for help, even if it's just to talk. Right. I tell people all the time, do one session. If you don't like it after that, there's, no, you know, go back to whatever you were doing. It's not going, it's not going to hurt you. That's for sure. I love that. Well, thank you again. Thank you guys for listening in. Feel free to share this episode if you enjoyed it or to somebody that you feel might need it. 
And remember guys, it's not all love and light.